Hello and welcome to another episode of At Any Rate. I'm your host, Natasha Kanova, and I head JP Morgan Global Commodities Research. Today we would like to discuss the exceptionally warm winter weather being observed across the Northern Hemisphere, coupled with the earlier than expected reopening of the Chinese economy and the implications on the broader commodity complex. I'm joined today by Tracy Allen, head of our agricultural research, and Greg Shearer, head of Basin Precious Metals Research. Um, energy prices on both sides of the Atlantic have started the new year sharply lower uh, as warm winter weather upended heating demand. Um, since the start of the year, natural gas prices collapsed by over 20%, and we're observing that both in Europe and in the United States. Uh, oil prices reset higher, but at some point they were down almost, uh, almost 8%. And this weaker energy prices have in turn pulled down grain prices, with corn down almost 4% year to date due to lower input costs. Uh, on the other hand, base metals prices are uh, breaking out higher, uh, some of them at uh, fresh six months highs. So we have uh, Greg to discuss that with us as well. So what is happening? Um, in Europe, this winter season is shaping to be one of the warmest on record, as exceptionally strong wintertime heat domes stretched across much of the continent. Uh, and in the U.S., uh, all of you guys remember this brutal deep freeze across the country around Christmas time. But at the same time, today it's 54 degrees Fahrenheit. And a couple of weeks ago, there were people in, in shorts walking in Central Park. So it's, it's really, really warm. Um, in South America, the impacts of La Nina have continued conditions of extreme heat and uh, dry weather across agricultural production regions. So what do you expect coming next? Uh, so the temperatures are beginning to cool across the Northern Hemisphere, but at the same time, our JP Morgan Meteorology Desk forecasts January to be the warmest uh, on record since 1950. So it's beating out the previous all-time high uh, that was in 2020 by almost uh, half uh, standard deviation. And it's averaging more than three standard deviations warmer than the 10-year mean. Uh, so, Tracy, I would like to start with you. Um, so clearly the implications are more significant uh, for some commodities and less, uh, less for others. In the agriculture space, what are you observing at the moment? First of all, A, does winter weather matter for agriculture commodities? And B, what, what are the implications? Yeah, it certainly does, Natasha. I mean, weather is just so pertinent for agricultural production throughout the year. I think the most important thing to acknowledge at the moment, um, if we shift our attention to the southern hemisphere, uh, during the, the the summer period there. Um, we have been acknowledging and, and raising for some time now this this risk that, you know, the, the third consecutive season of La Nina is at play for the South American crop. Of course, soybeans are growing in Brazil and Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, and there, there's a second corn crop coming in a couple of months' time. Um, you know, with this adverse weather in the Northern Hemisphere, in the Southern Hemisphere, certainly for Argentina, the uh, reverse has been opposite with, with well, in fact, actually ex extreme heat, similar to much of Europe, but entrenched drought, um, the implications of which has really drawn down on the production potential, particularly for the soybean crop. Um, you know, and this is, it's happening at a time when global soybean demand is essentially expected to rise, of course, off the back of China's reopening there. Um, farmers just are not able to plant the extent to which they would like because of the the depletion of soil moisture. Um, it's a very, very critical time. We've made some, some punchy downward revisions to our production forecast there. Um, and the corn crop is equally at risk. You know, we're looking for production of both corn and soy to fall to levels that we last saw about five seasons ago. Um, and the global balances are, you know, incredibly tight right now. 
But I think if we turn our attention to the Northern Hemisphere, there's some very important implications as well to think about. Of course, the winter wheat crops growing across much of, um, certainly much across Europe, the Black Sea and the US for that matter. And it has also, at least in the US, Plains has been a very challenging start to the growing season there. But the most, I think, critical impact, Natasha, of this warm weather really is the implications of, of gas prices, of course, because they've they've slumped, and I know you'll cover that shortly, but it has tremendous implications for fertilizer prices, ammonia prices filtering into lower fertilizer prices, and that has essentially you know, alleviated some of the cost-based pressures for agricultural producers going into the spring planting season. Um, so, Natasha, with that, you know, what, what does this warm weather over the Northern Hemisphere really mean for the gas market and gas prices? Yes, thank you, Tracy. Um, so in, in terms of why we even worry about that, and it's, the numbers actually telling. So if you look at the, at the balance, it's almost 40% of the natural gas consumption in Europe uh, takes place in the winter, three winter months, December through February. In the United States, it's about 30% uh, share. Um, so sensitive are the gas balances to winter weather. That Just to give you an example, one standard deviation, and that's about 1.2 degrees Celsius swing in normal temperatures during December through March could result in about 12 to 15 percentage points change in the Northwest European storage. So, yes, the European natural gas prices are down 77% since their peak in August. Uh, today, they're trading at the, what, about 65 euros per megawatt hour. Uh, but what is interesting also is that if we look for the contract, which is one year out, so the first quarter 2024, so those TTF gas prices are sitting almost 60 euros per megawatt hour lower than what they were a month ago. Um, so... You know, market fundamentals, including uh, significantly warmer uh, weather, but also efforts to reduce demand, diversify supplies have uh, definitely lifted concern that Europe is going to end winter with extremely low gas storage. Um, so the way we view that is the drop in the benchmark European bench, benchmark gas prices suggests that uh, the market is confident that even if the weather turns colder over the remaining few months of winter, there is enough gas storage and flows of LNG should be should be enough to not only get Europe through uh, through this winter, um, but also position it favorably for the winter of 2023-2024. Um, so today, European gas storage is 85% full. Um, that uh, last year, at exactly the same time last year, it was 46% full. The five-year average is about 65. So Europe is, you know, in a very, very good position. Uh, what is interesting is that everybody talks about supply, yes, how much LNG Europe is um, diverting uh, to, to the region, but at the same time, it's the numbers are very telling. So demand destruction has been very, very significant as well. Uh, so the numbers are telling. So Europe has done a lot of heavy lifting there. There's also less risk surrounding supply availability. So Russian gas flow via Ukraine continue uninterrupted. Uh, Russia has signaled its willingness to resume gas supply to Europe via the Yamal pipeline in Poland. Um, and also the China reopening, it could be less constructive for, for the global LNG demand uh, as China has been increasing efforts to supplant gas with cheaper and domestically available coal and increase pipeline imports from Russia. So it's such a tremendous turnaround in the outlook for gas prices right. in, just in the last couple of Months, really. I mean, and what does this mean for the outlook for oil prices and, and oil demand? Uh, yes, for oil, uh, we're maintaining our price forecast. So we, we're calling for $85 Brent oil price in the first quarter, rising to 94 uh, average in the fourth quarter of 2023. 
Um, so in oil, oil is very seasonal as well, yes, because a lot of uh, people, especially, for example, in uh, New England area of the United States, uh, they're burning heating oil for in winter. So that's about 1.6 million barrels per day of seasonal demand. Uh, it is being at risk, yes, if the, if the winter continues to be that warm. Uh, we believe out of that only actually half, uh, only 0.5 million barrels per day of demand is at risk. Uh, if the weather remains warm through March. Um, so we were penciling in about 700 KBD of gas to oil switching. Um, so we were really worried that that's, that seems that the number was too high, but it does uh, appear that there is not that much downside, uh, downside risk to our projections. So IA is estimating that uh, at the moment, uh, European gas to oil switching is about five. 550 KBD, so our 700 does not look that that big. Uh, but um, we are really optimistic on Chinese reopening. Um, so we, we do believe that China will come in strong. We compare China today to United States in June 2020, so it's a record level of uh, deposits, uh, the Chinese households, uh, record low interest rates, record low mortgage rates. Um, so with now with all the restrictions being lifted, we do believe that actually China Chinese uh, oil demand will surprise to the upside. Uh, we're seeing that already in some of the fast statistics. Yes, so today, for example, Chinese flights are averaging about seventy seven percent of two thousand nineteen levels. Uh, in December, it was about forty two. Uh, so it's a very significant uptick there. That's equivalent of about 300 KBD months over months increase just there. Uh, if you look at the uh, projections for trip.com, that's the, the largest online travel agency in China. So it's the Expedia's version of um, in China. So they're predicting that uh, China's travel industry may see a triple digit growth this year and return to 2019 levels by, by the end of the year. Uh, so overall, we see Chinese oil demand rising by almost 650 KBD in 2023. Um, with another 200 KBD, a potential, a potential tailwind from international travel. Uh, so overall, we maintain the view. So we do believe that the prices can reset higher from where we are today. And so, so another $10 at least. Um, so, Greg, I would like to turn the discussion towards metals. Um, so copper... Uh, seems to be a stellar performer so far. We're already above $9,000, so six, uh, six months high, similar iron ore, uh, but also you know, aluminum is moving. Um, could you please uh, just explain your view? Is the winter weather impacting that? Uh, what do you think about China? Yeah, I mean, I think it's mainly down to uh, metals being in this kind of Goldilocks scenario. Um, you know, obviously extremely China-centric, 50% of demand. What we're seeing there is a much quicker than expected reopening even just a few weeks ago. Um, you take that into account, uh, as well as the fact that we're going into Chinese New Year. So we're kind of going into a blackout period in terms of fundamentals. So there's no real challenge to um to a, a strong chinese demand story at the moment combined with dollar weakness and and potentially pricing in of a of a softer landing scenario in the global economy and i think metals have been one of the preferred picks to 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 kind of play that story and and we've definitely seen um kind of the inflows coming through this week that has that has pushed that up um in terms of the winter weather uh, lower energy prices on the, on the on the warmer winter weather um that can have a swing in terms of construction demand it also takes um 
uh, eases some of the pressure off of inflationary consumption demand. Um, but I think what what we've kind of seen here is that metals are really pricing in this um, very strong recovery in China that likely has more to run. I mean, it probably we're not going to get a kind of clear indication on Chinese demand until mid to late February. Um, beyond that, I think the other big component is is supply. Um, what we see there is we've been tracking all year since basically October 2021 is closures of a of Chinese aluminum smelting or of European rather aluminum smelting capacity. Almost 30 percent of 2021 um, production is now shuttered in 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 Europe, about 1.3 million metric tons. Now, what we see there is. There is a recent announcement from the Dunkirk smelter in France that it is beginning to restart production. We think this is a little bit of an outlier. We think due to state subsidies and, and potentially sub subsidized industrial power tariffs that it, their economics begin to make more sense. Uh, outside of that, what we see is we still don't think we're in a period where we should expect a rush of new uh, aluminum smelting capacity coming back online. If we look at kind of where we peg the economics of a grid connected European smelter, yes, the price, the, the, the cost is, is down quite a lot, uh, multiple thousand dollars per metric ton in the last month or so, but still probably sits upwards in the the upper $3,000 per metric ton, around thir maybe $3,700 per metric ton. So it still doesn't necessarily make sense. And we are actually, in other regions, still tracking some significant power shortages uh, impacting smelting, particularly in China, where we have almost 1.7, 1.8 million metric tons of, of capacity offline at the moment because of uh, uh, low hydro reservoirs, um, um, particularly in Yunnan province and, and neighboring Guizhou. Um, so from that perspective, um, that, that's kind of what I see coming through. I think what we're in in terms of the overall view is, is that we can see positioning continue to run um, into basically mid-February. We don't think we're at a stretch positioning level. And then is going to really come the, the make or break time on, on Chinese demand and, and whether or not we see kind of physical indicators like premiums and, and maybe an earlier draw is something that's going to kind of confirm this. And, uh, you know, until we see then maybe that opens the potential upside and would really challenge our view into mid-year that we could see a double dip in metals prices. Uh, thank you, Greg. So thank you all for listening to the Commodities Edition at JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. Uh, we look forward to continuing the conversation next week. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on January 13th, 2023.